0: Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine, with the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome back to The Critic podcast. The Northern Ireland Protocol is part of the Brexit deal that Boris Johnson signed in 2019, which commits the UK to imposing checks on goods entering Northern Ireland that the EU believe are at risk of entering the Republic of Ireland. The DUP says by creating trading barriers between parts of the UK, it undermines the Act of Union, but supporters say it's a necessary consequence of Brexit and is needed to protect the Belfast Agreement and prevent a hard border being erected on the island of Ireland.
1: Speaking about the Northern Ireland Protocol for a recent BBC programme for Northern Ireland's centenary, the Prime Minister said he was removing the unnecessary perturbances and barriers that have grown up. Were getting the barnacles off the thing and sandpapering it into shape. Uh, he of course famously told the DUP's party conference in 2018 that he would never put a border in the Irish Sea before agreeing to put in place, in his own words, perturbances and barriers between Great Britain and Northern Ireland as part of his revised withdrawal agreement. And this morning the PM spokesman said there were no current plans to trigger uh, Article 16, the mechanism to dismantle the protocol, but that they weren't ruling it out. And to talk about all of this, I'm delighted to be joined today by two guests. Simon Hoare is a Conservative MP and the Chair of the Northern Ireland Select Committee, and David Hoey is a Northern Ireland businessman and producer of the Political OD podcast. Simon, perhaps we could just start with you. I think it's fair to say your position on the protocol has been fairly positive. Uh, Maybe you could just start by saying, you know, why it's there. You know, the Prime Minister admits now it's been causing some problems for trade within the UK, and unionists say it's been a disaster and... It's only been around since January the 1st. So, so, you know, why do we need the protocol? What was it put there for?
2: Well, I mean, to answer those questions, I mean, maybe not in the order in which they were asked. I certainly think it's too early to come to a um, definitive view one way or the other. Uh, and, but certainly, you know, we, we need to keep it under review. What, why is it there? Well, basically, because the European Union need to protect perfectly understandably the integrity of their single market in the same way that we need to respect and maintain the integrity of our internal market and therefore on a balanced judgment call and you know nobody nobody would have started off by designing the protocol but in in a balanced judgment call trying to meet the competing and conflicting um, tensions that brexit and the Good Friday Agreement throw up when they, when they collide with each other, um, then the East-West solution, uh, when it's working well, can work, <clears throat> I think, very well as far as Northern Ireland is concerned because it does have that unique benefit which not enough attention has been paid to um, hitherto, and I rather hope that it can be and, and will be, which is the one foot in two camps, one foot in the single market and one foot in the internal market. And that provides trading and economic opportunities for Northern Ireland. And we know that as a as a part of the UK, they need those opportunities more than quite a lot of parts of the UK. But it puts at a distinct trading advantage, uh, businesses in NI, uh, uh, to a much better advantage than, say, businesses in my constituency of, of North Dorset. So I know it always sounds trivial when we talk about Ironing out creases and addressing teething problems, um, but we, sh- you know, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we're only what four months in um, to its operation after forty years of businesses and others getting used to one way of doing business. I mean, I think I think to an extent we should be surprised by the by the lack of problems which there has been. I, th- I think many of us were braced for far greater problems. Uh, than, we, than we've we actually seen. Um, and part of the problem I think has been was the lateness. My select committee, all of last year, had been pressing ministers for an early decision and an early route map so business could get their head around what they would need to do. In essence, that only came into practical currency uh, during the last month of last year. And that was on top of the challenges which business had faced with COVID. Seasonal holidays of Christmas and the New Year. So I think it's amazing that GB and NI businesses have shown such ingenuity, patience, perseverance, resilience, and preparedness to to give things a go. And you know, I think we should salute those business women and men who have been doing just that, who have been keeping the wheels on the bus. Yeah.
1: David uh, Simon says there that the uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol offers businesses a unique. Uh, opportunity with a foot in both camps and you know supporters say that supporters of the protocol say that it was designed to protect the Belfast agreement and without checks on between GB and Northern Ireland there'd have to be checks on the island of Ireland which would lead to violence and David you campaigned to leave the EU you know what would you say to that? Uh, There's a
3: whole uh, list of things wrapped up in that question so uh, I'll go back to to perhaps looking at the uh, why we are where we are uh, and whether that that is really sustainable in terms of what the Northern Ireland Protocol is currently being, I guess, interpreted uh, uh, as meaning. Uh, first of all, if we go right back to the, the government's, uh, I don't know if it was a white paper, but certainly the, their uh, stated intention of uh, for Brexit, and in particular in relation to uh, trade between uh, Ireland and uh, the United Kingdom, uh, the idea of cross-border trade was that, largely speaking, we're really looking at a, a small amount of companies uh, amounting to an awful lot of the trade into the Republic. Um, and indeed, 60% of all trade, um, well, well, back in 2017 or so, uh, 60% of all trade uh, from Northern Ireland uh, to the EU uh, were into into the Republic. Um so you know the, the EU represented a very small part of Northern Ireland trade overall. Um, the the cross-border movement of goods, again, predominantly, a lot of that sixty percent was probably in milk, uh, in uh, live animals for slaughter uh, in the in beef plants and um, I think chickens come north, if I remember rightly, um pigs come north, beef goes south, something like that. Uh, And uh, you you have a a large, I suppose, a number of engineering companies perhaps that would send large capital goods down south. But you almost had a 80-20 rule, about 20% of business in Northern Ireland, 20% businesses really, uh, that they were the big ones that amounted to by value, by volume of trade. 80% of trade was small business and just the incidentals of buying stuff in the north and moving it to the south some some border uh, trade in that respect. People going to Tesco's or Asda, uh, people buying uh, small trade uh, goods and taking it across. Uh, so the, the British government was fairly relaxed in the, in the early days, of course, so was the Irish government. And they were talking about how can we practically achieve this? Uh, when Leo Veradker became a Taoiseach in, in the Republic, that changed and all of a sudden it became... Uh, entirely oriented to EU, and we've we, we've seen the the video recordings where the EU, the Barnier and his team, uh, were discussing how uh, Ireland would be a, a good means of holding uh, the UK uh, within negotiations and, and and extracting a benefit from the negotiations back to the EU. So, the nature of the Northern Ireland Protocol as it as it was developed in the backstop and then created, I guess, as if as it were, into a front stop, uh, ended up with us being in a in a hybrid situation in Northern Ireland. And I hear people say that it can be uh, the best of both worlds. And uh, we, I guess we'd have to see if that comes to it. But the damage in terms of the East-West trade is substantial. Uh, now, large companies, of course, a lot of this is easy to deal with and the and the costs are fairly small relative to a high value or or uh, a trade that is is uh, let's say a, a, a ton of steel uh, brought over on a ferry might only attract an extra 150 pounds of carriage uh, but let's say you want to bring over a pallet of of um, paper clips or uh, uh, perhaps uh, Copy paper uh, that would also have 150 slapped on it, and that starts to eat into the margins of small businesses. Um, and small businesses, I think, are the ones that are really going to get hit quite badly because the overall cost is quite high. Uh, and that also includes small businesses no longer able to uh, sell by sell by internet without having their their core costs increase because they've had to buy in with the extra costs of of, uh, paperwork and import uh, costs uh, into Northern Ireland, and then trying to sell into a GB market, which was their big market, uh, against people who don't have to uh, carry those costs. Uh, And of course, as all of us have discovered in Northern Ireland, there are a lot of items that are no longer readily uh, accessible via Amazon or by the many other sites we use like Etsy, uh, eBay, not in the high street. Uh, where small companies just can't be bothered uh, with the scale, uh, and we've seen that on some foodstuffs as well. A uh, Kent supplier of Stilton just said he's not supplying Ireland. Ireland as a whole, not just not just Northern Ireland. Um, David, so
1: David we, can you see any merit in Simon's uh, argument that that it provides the best of both worlds for any types of companies?
3: I think for large international corporate businesses you could see how, given that this is broadly going to be, uh, the costs involved are largely accounting where they're able to take on extra staff at a marginal cost to the overall business, then I could see where they would, uh, would perhaps gain businesses. You could argue, if it wasn't for the um, uh, grace period on, on medicines, that there would be an advantage in pharma companies, moving operations into Northern Ireland uh, because they would have full access perhaps to the single market, but also uh, the security of law within the United Kingdom that we certainly have seen that the EU is perfectly capable of simply tossing aside uh, when it suits them with their uh, effort to, first of all, uh, invoke Article 16 and then simply walk away from that when they suddenly realised how... Damaging it was for their reputation, which of course
1: it was. Simon, what do you think of that argument? Then is this could this potentially be good, but only for big businesses? Is this just kind of crony capitalism that's um, that pricing out the, the little no, people? No,
2: no, I think I, I think it could be good for for lots of businesses. I mean, David has mentioned uh, pharma. I certainly think in the in the whole sphere of um, adding value to raw product through food processing. Um, There there is a lot, there's real scope, I think, for growth there in in the Northern Ireland economy. Um, I I think there is scope for for any business um, that wants to be in business, um, drawing upon an enthusiastic and and skilled workforce which exists within Northern Ireland, with a real, you know, um, appetite for entrepreneurship, uh, inventiveness and the like you know the home of the home of titanic and game of thrones um you know who could ask for anything more as it were um so i i, I think this is something which could benefit um all businesses and and even but in you know with, with with realistic prospects you know accountancy uh, banking finance uh law those sorts of things great opportunities yeah Right across the piece.
1: but Simon, the the the, the protocol has, seems to have um, mostly angered the unionist community. The DUP are particularly annoyed. There's another unionist party that seems to be snapping at their heels and they say it undermines the act of union 1801 which prevented trade barriers being erected between britain and ireland which which then carried over for northern ireland you know whilst the the conservative government is trying to make the case for the union in scotland is this kind of best of both worlds argument not just fatally undermining
2: well that? I, I i don't i mean I, i'm a unionist i don't think we base uh why why the unity of um um GBI sort of Scotland, England, and Wales uh, is based on, on on the Act of Union with Scotland. I you know I I think the arguments have matured and and moved on. I'm going to be careful in answering that question because of course it's subject to a um, a, a an action before the courts. But certainly the evidence I've seen, I asked the House of Commons Library to do me a briefing paper on it. And because the Good Friday Agreement um, uh, supersedes. The Act of Union in many respects. Um, th- then, in actual fact, I-, I don't find it a compelling argument. And whilst I'm not a lawyer, I, I must add that caveat. Uh, I think that's one of the easiest arguments to strike for the judge to strike down um, when when they when they hear
1: it advocated. Mm. So, so, you think that the um, you, th- you, you think that potentially the Belfast Good Friday Agreement has disapplied the Act of Union?
2: Uh, yes, because because it takes it takes uh, precedent. Uh, and you know, we, we we just have to we just have to, to 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 go with that. I think it strikes though to a broader question, which I which I which I'm exploring with with in all traditions and and all voices and shades of opinion, which is which is really as follows: when we didn't have borders and um, uh, regulatory checks and all the rest of it, i.e. when we were all part of the EU single market, it didn't make the UK feel any more European. Um, if it had done, we probably wouldn't have needed the referendum. And if we had had the referendum, the result might have been very, very different. So I think what we have to do—it's it's addressing the important point that, that, that David made earlier, which is which is access to goods and services and products. That that's what we have to make sure that the protocol is delivering in a seamless way, uh, and which is easy for business to get its head around and deliver. I've yet to be convinced. Now, maybe that there is a, an argument out there, which and I, I just haven't heard it to date. But I've yet to be convinced that anybody, really, in all honesty, identifies their sense of belonging, emotional attachment to a state, to a flag, to a tradition, to a culture, whatever it may happen to be, by the. Regulatory trading regimes, which get their breakfast cereal from one place to another. I I, I don't see it in this sort of constitutional constitutional point that this in some... It's a trade agreement. It's not a constitutional agreement. Um, Nobody should feel... Nobody who feels British today in Northern Ireland should feel no more or no less British uh, as a result of the protocol, than they did this time last year, or indeed the year before that. Um, I think I think it's it's unfortunate that there are people who are trying to wrap this sort of constitutional outrage uh, into something which is just a trading arrangement.
1: David, you surely have a have, a, have a, something to say about that? Um, well,
3: if we take it in two parts, first of all on, on the legal front, I think it's it's right not to prejudge the. Uh, the judicial review that uh, is going to be heard i believe in may time uh, but i think we can look back to uh what court has said about about brexit and, and of course one of the court one of the many court cases that was brought forward that no one really talks about was that there was no uh, collision of the good friday agreement and brexit uh, and the court said that there was no reason according to the good Friday agreement to stop brexit in whatever iteration it came through. So I think we can at least stand over that. Um, And I think the issue in terms of uh, at risk, the integrity of the uh, the single market, uh, what we can ask, the question there is one around what risk does uh, goods flowing freely into Northern Ireland pose uh, to the uh, EU uh, single market? And that is a legal issue as well.
2: Um, and I think it's... yeah, I mean, I mean, David, David, I, David, I, I mean, I, abs- I absolutely agree with you on that. I mean, I, I'm not sure what figures you've seen. I've certainly seen figures that about is it 89% of foodstuffs which come from GB into NI come via supermarket supply chains into their own supermarkets. They have no strategic risk of getting into the EU single market. And I, 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 I mean, I would agree that I think there needs to be um, some flexibility and a, and a greater degree of smartness, if you will, with being able to identify things which are at risk. But similarly, somebody
3: buying a washing machine in Uri and taking it over to Dundalk, Dundalk will not bring down the single market of the European Union. Uh, so I, th- I think the, if if we take back to the legal side, uh, I, and supermarkets is a bit of a distraction because those are, again, big corporates rather than the small trader. So I think we, ha- we have to look at in the round, not simply to the big guys who can shout loudly and get their derogations. In the process of, at the moment of ordering masks uh, from a company uh, in the world. Um, and that the the, the issue has, has it raised about uh, having those delivered and that becomes a matter of custom, uh, a customs check. Now, you know, six months ago, that is stuck them in a box and posted them to me. Now there is going to be an additional cost in that uh, delivery. Um, and if you think that that's just a, an economic, a mere economic transaction, that makes me feel really annoyed, and it does make me feel that I am not a an equal citizen in the sense that I can simply pick up the phone and order something from another part of my country and get it the same as anybody could in in uh, in silence constituency. So yeah, uh, I, I think there are issues. It's not. It's not going to bring uh, my my Britishness, in, but my sense of fairness and propriety is certainly uh, affected by the fact that you know again people wanting to just send things over. Um, you have to you have to find the workarounds that aren't necessarily legal and could in fact prevent. I've had a friend who tried to send a, a gift to his mother for mother's day and it was an absolute nightmare uh to make an arrangement for that gift to be uh, delivered um it, it wasn't just simply matter again of picking something out and having it sent to her from john lewis as he as he has done in the past i mean, uh, I mean can i
2: just i mean i mean david i mean you 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 make an important if, it, if it's not under all for me to say so, but I, I, think that, I think the one thing which the protocol has, has slightly masked is that from the 1st of January, there are, I think, all parts of the UK have had some disruptions to their supply chains. I, I, it, it hasn't just been things being delivered uh, to Northern Ireland, it's been stuff coming from the continent. Into GB, where there has also been uh, uh, delays. There's been loss of trade. I, I'm dealing with at least half a dozen cases at the moment of businesses in my constituency are just having the most terrible time getting their stuff into their traditional markets in in the EU. And I think you know there is this. Um, I don't know if it's naivety or I mean I'm sort of slightly surprised by the bewilderment that everybody thought. That, you, that, that it would be possible for any country to effectively turn the clock from you know uh, one day to the next with a whole new set of trading arrangements, and there would be no teething problems. There have been teething problems between GB and NI, but there have been huge teething problems between the rest of the EU and from um, uh, and 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 to, the, and to GB.
3: And with all due respect, Simon. I'm not talking about importing from another country. I'm talking about buying something within my own country. And that's the difference. I I totally accept it. I totally accept it that there would be disruption. And indeed, one of the things that isn't being pointed out, and I think, again, COVID is probably suppressing the difficulties that will arise, is the substantial dislocation of trade with the Republic of Ireland from GB, um, which people have just simply not noticed as yet. Uh, and the Republic of Ireland has brought in derogations in its in its uh, tax offices to ease trade because they are having tremendous difficulties in coping uh, with Brexit, uh, coping with the the final agreement. But there is a difference between being in another country and being in your own country and having that disruption, particularly when it's a matter of just of ordering something that would have been. Routine six months ago. This is my own country. This is not another. And if you're talking about Britishness, you should not have to uh, organize uh, customs uh, uh, paperwork to import uh, to get something sent to you uh, from across a strip of water.
2: Well, we're all having to get used to to new arrangements, and you know the the regulatory border, the regulatory border had to go somewhere. And I mean, there, there, there is this sort of temptation. And let me be clear, I'm not suggesting that David is suggesting this, but there are a lot of people who say, oh, well, let's get rid of the protocol. Let's get rid of the protocol. And then everything will be fine and dandy. But if you got rid of the east west, you're going to have to put it north south. And that has another lot of knock on um, effects for, for business. For uh, stability, for confidence in the investor community, um, in the integrity of the GFA, etc. As I say, you know, none of this has been easy stuff. I mean, I I I wasn't instinctively uh, a sort of you know um, fanatical pro-European, but a lot of my remain position in the referendum was predicated on the huge challenges that delivering Brexit would bring to the island of ireland because you did have this conflict whether one liked it or not with the principles of the good friday agreement which were written at a time when it was never expected um or anticipated that the republic or the uk would ever leave the eu that was always written as a sort of one of the sort of foundation stones on which you could base the Good Friday Agreement—that we were all parts of the same single market; that we were all parts. It was never discussed.
3: Market. It was never discussed. No,
2: you're you're right, David. In 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 the in the same way that you know, lots of people won't discuss things like if they if they, I don't know if the car won't start tomorrow, or if the or if their leg falls off. It was never discussed because it was just not envisaged. It wasn't even when the Good Friday Agreement was entered into. Nobody thought, you know, you, you we just had sort of Jimmy Goldsmith in his referendum campaign in the 97 election, hadn't won a single seat. Uh, you had a very pro um, European Union uh, Labour government coming in with a massive majority. You had the Republic very pro the European um, Union. I wasn't aware of a, of a great sort of hotbed of Euroscepticism within, within Northern Ireland, who, after all, even as late as the referendum, voted my majority to. To stay in it, it wasn't considered because it was probably seen as just being such an unrealistic prospect that consideration needn't be given to it.
1: But S- Simon, you say that the uh, you say that the border couldn't go north south. I mean, but wouldn't you need argue? You know that there already are different tax uh, rates north and south. There's already AMPR cameras. There are already is smuggling north south. Um, why would you create a border where there isn't one instead of? Strengthening a border where there already is one.
3: Well, I've, sorry, David. Just to add on to that one, as a, as a as a question, uh, and that is, if Boris Johnson is saying that the Northern Ireland Protocol in its implementation should be so light touch that people shouldn't notice, then why shouldn't that be uh, between Northern Ireland and the Republic rather than at the at the docks uh, in Northern Ireland, at Larne and, and Belfast, and wherever? So um, you know, if if it's that light touch and it wouldn't, it's not going to be seen. It's not even going to be noticed. Why shouldn't it be on the land border? There's no practical reason why uh, a border in terms of goods cannot be managed uh, through the systems and not be managed um, uh, physically.
2: Well, I mean, we we heard for four years about these alternative arrangements uh, that could deliver a border north-south, which wouldn't offend against the Good Friday Agreement, and would not be visible to the naked eye. Um, And at no point before or after have we had any flesh put on those particular bones. So we keep being told what isn't wanted and isn't palatable and is not liked. Um, But there's no realistic alternative that has ever been proposed which would be acceptable to the British government, to the Irish government, and to the European Commission. This is a a triangulated need for agreement. And so I think the challenge is to to get that invisible, light-touch regulatory regime predicated on the principles of the protocol Rather than continuingly the dangling the uh, as yet to be defined alternatives in front of people to say, "Well, latch onto this," and then just find that they've latched onto a whole pile of uh, of thin air, what what I what I do have enormous sympathy with is that I, uh, you know, hindsight is that great skill which politicians always wish they'd had. Um, I I think the government could have been and should have been far clearer, far clearer in, in not just what was being delivered, but why, taking people into their confidences, to their thinking, into their rationale, into their strategy. And then I think people would, they may still not like what they arrive at, but I think what what is fueling this, and I have great sympathy for it, is that a, a lot of people feel that they've been taken for not taken for a ride, but taken for fools, that they've only been shown partial bits of the truth, or given the bits which they think that the giver feels may be palatable. And there's no point trying to pretend that there isn't a border, east-west? because there is, but you that, but it makes it a bit more palatable if you explain that the border has to go somewhere, and this is why we've chosen why the government chose this way rather than the other way. I hope it's not too late to do some of that explanation, but I feel that an awful lot of people have been annoyed by its absence. And it's a big ask to ask them to reflect upon the reasons, but they have to be given them and they have to be given them in a common sense, clear way. And
1: we're fast running out of time, but perhaps you could um, just answer this, Simon. Are you concerned at all by the the government uh, deciding to to unilaterally act on some of these um, grace periods, unilaterally extending the the grace periods given to supermarkets?
2: Well, I mean, as I as I said in the Commons, um, the need for the extensions was very clear, and my understanding is that that clarity was understood by the European Union Um, and there wasn't any particular need for unilateral action because it could have been it could have been agreed mutually we are where we are but a lot of this uh, this finessing of the protocol uh needs to be based on trust and unilateral action where you have an international agreement which has dispute remedies written within it Uh, to build that relationship of trust is not best served by unilateral action from either side. And so, you know, they had one over the vaccines. We've had one over this. The, The David Frost roadmap, which I hugely welcome as a way of fleshing out to the EU what the government is going to be doing within this extended period in order to make the or to deliver in full the protocol uh, you know that of itself has to be uh, welcomed but let us now hope that there is that relationship of mutual trust such that uh, unilateral activity will no longer be required.
1: David, perhaps you could give one one final kind of thought. You know, the, the idea that, that Simon mentions that uh, it would really break down trust if we just start triggering Article 16 and extending grace periods and it would undermine potentially undermine our, our trade agreements if, if people around the world think that they can't take Britain at its word, if it was just going to break agreements that it makes.
3: I think if there had been trust, you wouldn't have the Northern Ireland Protocol. I, I think the EU has a very singular view of what it wants to achieve. It wants to make Brexit hurt. Northern Ireland is a Trojan horse that will continue to basically no. gnaw away at, at uh, Boris and the rest. Uh, and if the price is the breakup of the union, I don't think the EU will give two figs. Two I don't think the good Friday agreement featured in any no, uh, particular great uh, uh, aspect of the EU's thinking other than how uh, its spirit uh, some ev- elusive and uh, peculiar idea of what it actually was uh, it could be used to basically uh, extract greater concession and to make it difficult for Brexit to succeed. Um, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, we are where we are, as Simon says. Uh, but there's going to have to be a whole lot of work done uh, to basically pull it round. And I'm still waiting for the answer that if this protocol could be made uh, so light touch, why can't that light touch border not be uh, between Northern Ireland and the Republic?
1: Well, I'm afraid that really is all we've got time for uh, this week. But thank you both uh, very much for coming on and and speaking about the Northern Ireland Protocol. Hopefully we we understand it slightly more and the arguments uh, slightly more. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.
0: If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the current offer of five issues for £10 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.